about passing on our tradition, a neglected mandate. Let's deal with some dictionary definitions first of all. What is tradition? Could be said to be the passing down of elements of a culture from generation to generation, especially by oral communication. We saw that in today's reading where um, we're supposed to pass on to our children the story of God's redemption of us from Egypt. That's a tradition. Uh, as a matter of fact, in religious Jewish prayer for thousands of years, we recount that story every single day. So the passing down of elements of a culture from generation to generation, especially by oral communication. Secondly, a, a tradition is a mode of thought or behavior followed by a people continuously from generation to generation. We talk about the Jewish tradition, uh, the reformed tradition, various traditions. Uh, thirdly, uh, closely related to that is a set of such customs and usages viewed as a coherent body of precedence influencing the present. And there again, we talk about the Jewish tradition, the Christian tradition, various traditions, which are ways of behavior, uh, all related to preserving our identity and our story from generation to generation. Here's a cynical definition. Tradition, peer pressure from dead people. Uh, so in our individualistic society, people don't like the demands of tradition. And the, this cynical definition, peer pressure from dead people. I've got a better definition. Here's our working definition for today. Tradition is a valued way of living thinking and remembering passed down from generation to generation. Again, tradition is a valued way of thinking, living, thinking, and remembering passed down from generation to generation. And today we're going to look at tradition in three ways. Uh, we want to look at tradition as a, as a sure, a certain responsibility. Secondly, an emphasized responsibility. And thirdly, as a complicated responsibility. And I must say that many of us have been brought up in religious contexts where the word tradition is kind of like a dirty word. That's a grave mistake. First of all, it's very naive. Every community has a tradition. Even let's say a very hardline independent Baptists who are against tradition, they'll meet every, every Sunday at 11 a.m., come hello high water. That's their tradition. Their tradition is they only read from the King James Bible. That's their tradition. Their tradition is that preaching is only done by men and not by women. That's their tradition. They have a whole flock of transitions, traditions. One time when I was with the Liberated Wailing Wall, the music team of Jews for Jesus, of which I was the music director, we did a presentation in a independent Baptist church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, um, and uh, we were there a couple of times. They were very hospitable to us. 
But in, in the entryway, just outside their sanctuary, on the walls, they had covered with lucite, covered with plastic, on the walls, they had all the rules that their Sunday school teachers needed to observe. And I remember a man, there was one fellow in the congregation who was a Jew, and he came to the service at night wearing a talus, which you don't do at night, but he didn't know much. And one of the elders of the group, apparently, came up to him, put his arm around him and said, oh, brother, brother Louis, aren't you glad you're not under the law anymore? And all around them were all of these commandments on the wall that all of the Sunday school teachers needed to obey. They had their tradition, even though they were anti-traditional. Everybody has a tradition. A tradition is a communal habit of thinking and doing. And we are habit-forming creatures. So let's go back for a moment and look at that uh, prior definition. A valued way of living, thinking, and remembering passed down from generation to generation. You might also call it a communal habit of thought and action. So let's go on and look at tradition as a sure responsibility, as an emphasized responsibility, and as a complicated responsibility. Okay. First, as a sure responsibility, and we find it all over the Torah and over the scripture. Remember the passage from the Shema, these words which I command you this day shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. That's the tradition to be passed on. We read today about the redemption of the firstborn, the firstborn of animals, their necks had to be broken, but your, your children need to be redeemed. What, they, what we do nowadays is, is when a firstborn son is born, uh, we, we give the equivalent of $5 in silver to a Kohen as a symbol of buying back the idea to keep our firstborn sons for ourselves, because God laid claim to all the firstborn in Egypt. Uh, but there it is. It's right there in Exodus 13, verse 1 and 11 to 15, redemption of the firstborn. Also in that chapter, we read about binding them as a sign on our hand, as a symbol between our eyes. That's where we get the idea of tefillin. That's a tradition. It's a God-given tradition. It's a sure responsibility. We read about eating matzah at Passover. That's also a tradition. It's a way of preserving our identity, telling our story from generation to generation. We read in the Torah uh, about holy, holy days. It should be holy days, like Shabbat, like Passover, we read about. Also, like Shavuot and Sukkot. These are all ways of living passed down from generation to generation that have our identity and our story attached to them. Uh, in the story in, in Genesis, uh, God chose Abram that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. Uh, all the way back there in the story of Abram in Genesis 18, the idea is that God chose Abraham that his children would keep certain ways of behavior that were righteous and just 
That's our tradition. He just didn't say, be righteous and just. He showed us how. That's what the Torah is. It's the specifics of what righteousness and justice look like for us. But our tradition is also an emphasized responsibility. The Jewish people, may God, God will continue to bless our people to the end of time. The Jewish people have taken the fact that God commanded us very seriously. These are not bullet points. These are not suggestions. They're commandments from the God who redeemed us from Egypt and met us at Mount Sinai. And the Jewish people have taken this with deadly seriousness for thousands of years. Here's some quotes that illustrate how seriously the Jewish people have emphasized our responsibility to pass on our tradition. The Talmud quotes Rabbi Hamnuna saying that the destruction of Jerusalem was due to God's wrath being poured out because children were to be seen in the streets rather than in the schools. It's not simply that they were not being taught to read and write. They were not being taught the holy ways of life that God had entrusted to us. Back there in Deuteronomy, these words as I command you this day shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. It's not happening, but it's what God commanded. And the Jewish community underlines it with these, these comments. Here's another one. Reish Lakish is reported to have said in the name of Rabbi Judah the Prince, the world endures only for the sake of the breath of school children. This, what is that about? It's about the transmission of a legacy from generation to generation. We sang Yeshua is Lord this morning based on Psalm 145, which says in verse 4, one generation shall tell your works, shall tell your praise from generation to generation. Okay, the world endures only for the sake of the breath of school children. That's a very graphic way of saying that this is so important to God that, we're, that he preserves the world that children might learn his holy ways. What a thought. Another statement, the study of the young is not to be interrupted even for the construction of the holy temple. <laughs> is that a priority? You bet your life. And for you, Jennifer, who's a school teacher, for Melissa's daughter, who's also a school teacher, for other teachers among us, God considers your work holy work. Here's another one. The sages have said, once an infant begins to talk, his father should converse with him in the holy tongue and should teach him Torah. For if he fails to do so, it is as if he had buried him alive. <laughs> Can you get any stronger than this? Don't write this off. This is a way of our sages highlighting, underlining, putting in bold 96-point type that God commanded this, and we take it seriously. So, Passing on a tradition is an emphasized responsibility, but it's also a complicated responsibility. Some of us have been taught to be very suspicious of 
of uh, the traditions of men. Well, this comes uh, from the Gospel of Mark. And let's look at the context. Yeshua says, their worship of me is useless because they teach man-made rules as if they were doctrines. But that's not where he starts, where he finishes. He says, you depart from God's command and hold to human tradition. That's the problem. The problem is not that you have traditions, but when you depart from God's command and substitute traditions, that's the problem. He goes on to amplify this. He said to them, you have made a fine art of departing from God's command in order to keep your tradition. That's an error. He said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. Let me clue you in. There are three kinds of traditions. Only one of those three grieves God. First tradition, the kind of tradition that that reflects the wisdom of Scripture and the will of God. Those traditions we should keep that reflect or honor God's Scripture and His will. Those traditions are good. Number two is traditions that are neutral. You put on your right shoe or your left shoe first every morning. That's your tradition, your habit. The Ahavatzion meets at 10 o'clock every Shabbat morning. That's a human tradition, but it's neutral. It's, 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 it's not, uh, uh, it doesn't interfere with God's commandments. Those are okay. The only kind of tradition that needs to be rejected is a tradition by which we make void the will of God and substitute a human idea. That is the only problem. So if any of you, like me, have been taught that the traditions of men need to be avoided, I want you to know that is false. The only kind of traditions we have are the traditions of men. We don't have the traditions of chipmunks. The only kind of traditions of men that we should avoid are those which make void the commandments of God and substitute for God's will. So that's one of the complications I wanted to talk about. Here's another one. Oh, Rabbi, 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 that's just the Old Testament. I mean, that's a long time ago. No, 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 no. Here is Paul, Acts chapter 28. He finally arrives in, Jerusalem, in uh, Rome uh, to appear before Caesar. After three days, Shaul called a meeting of the local Jewish leaders. This is the mainstream Jewish world. When they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, although I have done nothing against either our people or the traditions of our fathers, I was made a prisoner in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. Notice, is Paul lying? He's now been an apostle, I don't know, 25, 30 years. 
He says, I have done nothing against our people or the traditions of our fathers. He continued to keep Jewish traditions, the traditions of men, traditions of men that honored God. So to think that it's strictly an Old Testament fetish or something is bogus. Here's another one. Uh, Paul, Paul talks about traditions in his letters three times. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now I commend to you, uh, because I, now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. He passed on traditions to them. Do we know what all those traditions are? No, we don't. He doesn't specify. But he doesn't treat traditions like it's a dirty word. Galatians 1, 14, he talks about his past life. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age and among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. He was very zealous for the traditions of his fathers before he was a believer, and he tells the Jewish leaders in Rome towards the end of his life, I've continued that. He continues to be zealous for the traditions of his fathers. He doesn't reject the traditions. He rejects rejection of Yeshua. 2 Thessalonians verse 2.15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So tradition is not a dirty word to Paul. It should not be a dirty word to us. And that's important. Yeshua says in Matthew 23, this is very important. Woe to you, hypocritical Torah teachers and Prashim. You pay your tithes of mint, dill, and cumin, those are spices, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the Torah, justice, mercy, and trust. Stop. This is where most people stop. Oh, those Pharisees. Oh, those scribes. Oh, they, they did all this tithing, all this minutial, all this minute kind of nitty-gritty stuff, uh, how stupid they were, and how ungodly, because they neglected the matters of justice, mercy, and trust. That's not the end of the quote. He says, these are the things you should have attended to, justice, mercy, and trust. Watch it, without neglecting the others. Now, I got news for you. The tithing of mint, dill, and cumin of spices is not taught in the Torah. It is a Jewish tradition. And Yeshua says, you should not do these and neglect justice, mercy, and faith, or here, trust. But he says, these you should do, justice, mercy, and faith, without neglecting the others. Yeshua is tradition positive. We should be too. Now, you're free to disagree with me. You're not free to disagree with the scripture. So if you're going to disagree with me, take me to the Bible and show me. Here's another complication. Are there different responsibilities for Jews and Gentiles? Yes, there are. In Acts chapter 21, Paul comes up to Jerusalem. There are these, James says, people have heard a rumor that you're teaching people to forsake Moses, that is Torah, not to circumcise their children, 
and to leave off the Jewish way of life. This is causing great consternation among us. They've heard he's doing that in the diaspora. He's not. He's only telling Gentiles they don't have to do these things. But then he says, okay, we've got these four guys here. This is James, the brother of Yeshua. This is 14 to 21 years after Pentecost. The entire community of Jewish believers, there's thousands and thousands of them, they're all zealous for Torah. James says, okay, we got these four men here who have taken a vow. Go up to the temple with them and pay for their vow so that everyone will know that these things they were informed concerning you are nothing. But that you, Paul, that you yourself walk orderly. I love that phrase. Walk orderly. That's halacha. Halach means to, to walk or to proceed. That you yourself are a halachic Jew and you keep the law. And then James says this, but concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing. They don't have the same requirements from Torah because certain commandments that were given particularly to the Jewish people, except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Those are commandments from Leviticus that were the commandments for Gentiles living in the midst of Jewish community, those four. But notice James is not embarrassed to say two things to Paul. Number one, we expect you to keep Torah. We want you to show that you're still walking orderly and keeping Torah because you're a Jew. But then he says, as for the Gentiles, we don't require that of them because they don't have the same accountability for certain commandments in the Torah. So that's another complication of this issue that uh, I wanted to highlight. I got three more, six, seven, and eight. There's the question, how do you decide what to do and how much? People always raise this with me. And that's a good question. I honor that question. And number seven, it's a communal decision and not a personal one. You come to your rabbi, you come to your community, you try to walk in, in, um, in sync with the Jewish world and with your community. So this is not a decision we each simply make ourselves. It's one where our community is meant to be a sign of Jewish obedience to Torah. That's what it is. It doesn't mean we have to be hyper-Orthodox. That's a, that's, a, that's, that's a fairy tale. Not that hyper-Orthodoxy is a fairy tale, but the idea that we have to be all that way or it doesn't count, that's a fairy tale. But we should be a communal demonstration of honoring God by honoring his commandments. And that's a communal decision, process as a community. Number eight is a decision to be made with respectful interaction with Jewish precedent and the wisdom of God's people, always grounded in Scripture. Notice I said about Jewish precedent. Uh, I don't think that it honors God for us to depart from the ways of life that God gave to the Jewish people. He didn't give, the, he didn't give us a book. Sure, we have the Bible, but he gave the Jewish people a way of life that is, that is, uh, that is, uh, reflected in scripture. 
And uh, for us to depart from that way of life is to depart from unity with our people. That's something that Paul did not do, for example. Here he is coming up to Rome, 21, maybe 25 uh, to 30 years, maybe more after he became an apostle. And when he gets to Rome, the first thing he wants to do is see his fellow Jews and remind them, hey, guys, I've done nothing against uh, uh, our, our tradition. I want you to know I'm still one of you. We should also live as though the Jewish people are our people and not our former people. So back to our working definition. Tradition is a valued way of living, thinking, and remembering, passed down from generation to generation. And Jennifer, since you're an English teacher, I want to suggest you read Everything You Can by G.K. Chesterton. He was a genius. Uh, he was a British genius, which meant that he had a certain tinge of British classism and the way he thought of Jews does not please me, but he was absolutely brilliant. And here's what he said about tradition. Steve, would you read this, please? I love your voice. Read this for me. Rabbi, did you say Steve? Yes, I did. Thank you. Sorry. Tradition means giving a vote to the most obscure of all classes, our ancestors. It is the democracy of the dead. Tradition refuses to submit to the small and arrogant oligarchy of those who merely happen to be walking about. All Democrats object to men being disqualified by the accident of birth. Tradition objects to their being disqualified by the accident of death. Great quote. That's hot stuff. It's from a book of his called Orthodoxy. Uh, he, he was a, a really mega brilliant man. He wrote, he wrote a book, I think, about St. Francis that he, he, wrote, he wrote off the top of his head. It, it's considered to be the best treatment uh, around. He just was a genius. And that's a great quote. And with that, I, um, I end my drush, except to ask, and I'm going to entertain one or two comments or questions. Now, anybody? <laughs> 